Hello, everyone. Welcome to another new episode, this very special Good Friday episode of the podcast. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're listening. I hope that you'll be encouraged and blessed, and I hope that you'll share it with your family and your friends. And you can find out more information as well as catch up on previous podcast episodes, series, blog posts, videos, all of that stuff over at thepointoffocus.com. But I wanted to kind of say where we are here. Um, this is going to be, I'm going to say it right off the top, this is going to be a off-script kind of episode. I'm basically going through the Bible and we're going to journey through it together. All of the emotions and everything that gets stirred up during this episode are going to, it's going to be there. There, It's not planned what I'm what I'm going to say or what I'm going to do. I'm going with with Jesus as he guides us through this very crucial time in his ministry, in his life, in the life of his disciples, in the lives of the people that believed in him. And so as we journey through this, where we've been the last nine episodes, we've been in a series called The Last Night with Jesus. And we've spent time in John 13 through 17, and we're just looking at some of the last teachings and encouragements and even the prayer of Jesus. And we've just spent time seeing what Jesus has to say to us through that very prominent and very um, hard-hitting even, and just loving and kindness and just his his tone in his teaching. And I said at the very beginning of that series that I believe this teaching in John 13 through 17 is probably his best teachings because it's his last teachings. The last teachings that people would ever hear, the last teaching his disciples would ever hear, the last teachings he would ever put down in the Gospels. And so just spending time there, entering into that space with his disciples as they sat and listened to what is going on. Not really knowing what Jesus meant, not really having full grasp of what Jesus meant, especially when he said in John 16, where he tells them, hey, you're going you're gonna to weep and you're going to grieve and you're going to mourn and you're going to be sorrowful over what is going to happen to me. But that will be turned into joy. They have no idea what that meant. They have no idea what that means. And it's just so confusing to them. But they're about to experience it. Um, where we ended last week, Jesus just got done praying. And it's accounted in all the Gospels, uh, this prayer that Jesus does. Um it's believed that John kind of expounded on it a little more for John 17 and what Jesus prayed for. We see that he prays for himself. We see that he prays for his his group, his disciples, the 11 remaining disciples. And he prays for all, all, all believers that are there currently that have, have followed him, that have been a part of his ministry and all of that. But as well as that part of the prayer goes into the future for us. And he prayed mainly for his disciples and for all believers, us, to have unity, to be unified, and so, and to love and to be compassionate and all of that. And so he, he ends there, and in the other gospel accounts, he has to wake his disciples up. His disciples are caught sleeping, 
and it probably frustrates Jesus a little bit. But then he says, rise, my betrayer is here. Or look, here comes my betrayer. And this is where the mood has to change. Because Jesus has said the words, rise, here comes my betrayer. And the disciples had to have gotten up and kind of looked around and saw Judas coming. They had to have been able to identify that it was Judas. Maybe not right away, but they had to identify him. And remember, the last time we saw Judas, he was at dinner with them. And then all of a sudden, he got up and left. And the disciples did not know that he was the betrayer at the time. But Judas, Jesus identified him as the betrayer. But we don't know if that was just exclusive to John or if the other disciples kind of got a hold of it, but it says at the end of John 13, at the, some point in John 13, that they just thought he was going to pay for the food or going to handle some treasury business as Judas handled the money. So now this is the this is the space that we're in. Okay, the disciples now see Judas coming, and here is what the Bible says. We are in John 18, and as I said, we're just going to read some stuff and we're just going to talk. That's the kind of the model of this. That's why I don't really know what's going to happen. I'm going to read and the emotions that are stirred up are going to just come up and we're just going to go through this together, this moment, this day of Good Friday. So it says here, John 18, 1, after saying these things, saying these things, so what we've been discussing in the Last Night with Jesus series. So he kind of puts a kind of puts a button on that and closes that up and we shift the story. And Jesus crossed the Kindred Valley with his disciples and entered the grove of olive trees. Judas, the betrayer, knew the place because Jesus had gone there many times with his disciples. So here we are. Judas knew the plan. Judas knew where he was going to go. Judas knew where he was going to be, not because he was Jesus and not because he was God and because he knew everything. He just had a hunch that that is where Jesus was going to be. Then it says, verse 3, the leading priests and Pharisees had given Judas a battalion of Roman soldiers and temple guards to accompany him. Now with blazing torches, lanterns, and weapons, they arrived at the Olive Grove. So this is that situation that I was describing just a second ago, right? Rise, my betrayer is here. And the disciples get up and they see this, this army coming this battalion of Roman soldiers and people with torches, lanterns, and weapons. And I'm pretty sure in the firelight, they could see Judas walking with the, the leader of the pack, leading them right to Jesus. Jesus, in verse 4, Jesus fully realized all that was going to happen to him. Stepping forward to meet them, he asked, Whom are you looking for? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he, Jesus said. Judas was standing there with them when Jesus identified himself. As he, and as he said, I am he, they fell backward to the ground. Once more, he asked them, whom are you looking for? And again, they replied, Jesus of Nazareth. I told you, I am he. And since I am the one you want, let the others go. He did this to fulfill his own statement. I have not lost a single one of those you gave me. 
And we talked about that in the prayer last week too, how Jesus didn't lose anybody except for Judas who was standing before him. In the other gospels, it's identified that Judas is gives him a kiss on the cheek. How you would greet royalty and all of that. And even Jesus says, how like pretty much the way I get the tone, and like I said, this is raw. This is me not like this is me with the emotions that I feel about the situation. I believe when Jesus gets kissed by Judas and Jesus looks at him and he goes pretty much how dare you betray me with a kiss kind of like the slap in the face of this king of kings moniker that Jesus had been been given and this this title king of kings and hail king of the Jews and all of this stuff and Judas walks in there and gives him a kiss on the cheek how you would kiss a royal person how you would kiss a king you would greet them with a little peck on the cheek or they would peck you on the cheek and all of that you know and geez i can just like hey you're gonna kiss me on the cheek i can just feel that just rip jesus human being i can just feel him kind of like you kiss me on the cheek kind of like how dare you betray me with a kiss but you know he had he knew it had to happen that way and anyway so last week we talked about how he hadn't lost anyone but judas and he wasn't going to have his disciples get arrested. He wasn't going to be a part of that. Um, so he told them to let him go. And so now we we shift the scene again. As the rest of John 18 covers the um, trial, quote unquote, trial, the charade, the this whole thing, this mockery of a trial that they put Jesus on. It also covers Jesus, uh, Peter's denials, which caused Peter to weep loudly as it's covered in the other Gospels. And um, now we're up to that. So this is where it's kind of shifted. Also, John 18 includes when Peter trying to protect Jesus and he cuts off uh, Malchus's ear and he... Uh, gets kind of reprimanded by Jesus and said, you know, Jesus tells him, you know, put the sword back. That's not what we're here for. Calm down. And he actually, Jesus still showing his heart and his compassion and his love heals the guy that's there to arrest him. He puts his ear back on. It's unbelievable that Jesus would do that to a guy that's standing there ready to arrest him. And so Jesus gets, like I said, he's put on trial. And that's the rest of, of John nineteen, uh, John 18. And Pilate is un- unbelieved at this whole thing. He, he can't believe that this is happening. He's trying to get Jesus to talk to him. So... They don't want Jesus to be released. They want Barabbas. And this is a scene in John 18 too, where it's customary that they release a criminal and Pilate is trying to get them to accept Jesus, to allow him to release Jesus. But instead they choose Barabbas. And so Pilate then has something else. So Pilate then, he decides, as we start in John 19, this is what Pilate decides, hoping that the people might change his mind and all of that. So it says here, John 19, 1, it says, Then Pilate had Jesus flogged with a lead tip whip. The soldiers made a crown of long, sharp thorns and put it on his head. And they put a royal purple robe 
on him. Hail, king of the Jews, they mocked as they hit him with their fists. So they are just mocking him. He says he's a king. Let's put him in purple. Let's let's put a let's give him a crown. And they're just mocking him in and slapping him around. Pilate went outside again and so so this was Pilate's idea. Sorry. This was Pilate's idea. Maybe if they maybe if they beat him, maybe if, you know, this kind of stuff, maybe he'll um wind up falling into oh okay well Pilate did something at least maybe Jesus will back down and they'll let Pilate release Jesus but that's not what happens Pilate doesn't get his way really with that so verse 4 in chapter 19 we pick up on it and it says when he went outside and said to the people I am going to bring him out to you now but you understand I clearly do not find him guilty then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe and Pilate says here is the man. When they saw him, the leading priests and temple guards began shouting, Crucify! Crucify! Pilate said, You crucify him. I find him not guilty. So once again, Pilate here is wrestling with this innocent man. I, I, there's nothing wrong with him. I can't crucify him. I can just see him. You crucify him yourself. Go ahead. But they say, Our laws say he ought to die because he is called himself the son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was more frightened than ever. He took Jesus back into his headquarters. Where are you from? But Jesus gave no answer. Why won't you talk to me? Pilate demanded. Don't you realize I have the power to release you or crucify you? Then Jesus said, you have no power over me unless it's been given to you from above. So the one who brought me to you has the greater sin. And some people say, he could have been talking about Jesus. I mean, Judas, sorry. But in, in this, what I'm saying is, this is one of the only things that Jesus says. And he's pretty much saying, you have no power over me. Jesus had been given all authority in heaven and on earth. And he's got, and Pilate has no power over him and it's just so powerful to hear Jesus say that. As I'm sitting here reading that, nothing's got power over us. We have, a, we have the victorious king who's overcome the world, as he said in John 16, 33, that we'll have trouble in this world, but it's got no power over us. We have, nothing has power over us. Jesus holds all the power and all the authority. That is what I see in verse 11 of John 19. When I read that, you have no power over me. But then it also says, unless it were given to you. So that kind of says, we give things power in our lives. We should give it to the most powerful man that ever walked the earth, Jesus. We should turn over our things to him because he's overcome them and he can give us peace. Nothing has power in our lives unless we give it to them. And that's what he's saying to Pilate. You have no power over me unless I give it to you. Or unless God gives it to you. So, and then, like, he's talking about the one who brought him, Judas. 
perhaps, or maybe even some of the other temple guards or whatever. Then verse 12, the story continues. Pilate then tried to release him, but the Jew is, if you release this man, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who declares himself a king is a rebel against Caesar. When they said this, Pilate brought Jesus out again. Then Pilate sat down on the judgment seat. It is now about noon and the preparation for the day of Passover. And Pilate said to the people, here is your king. Away with him, they yelled. Away with him. Crucify him. What? Pilate asked, crucify your king. We have no king but Caesar. Then Pilate gave Jesus to them to be crucified. I want to talk about this this moment right here. It's depicted so well in The Passion of the Christ. Uh, I've only seen that movie one time. Once was enough. But it's depicted so well because Pilate is visibly shaken and wrestling with this as this text identifies. Like, once again, he's like, you know what? I find him not guilty. And he, it, the Bible says that he was frightened. He's about to crucify the Son of God. And Pilate probably believed who Jesus was. And he didn't want to do it. He's an innocent man. And then it says he gave him away. Because this whole talk with Caesar, this whole talk about you are, you are a rebel against Caesar. Then Pilate handed him over to be crucified. In the Passion of the Christ, if you haven't seen the movie, if you have, you know what I'm talking about. It shows him dip his hands and kind of rub his hands together in a symbol of washing his hands of what he was about to do. Washing himself free and clean of this. Saying that the guilt is on them, not me. But it was still his call. But the Caesar remark, Pilate was afraid there was going to be an uprising if he released Jesus. That they were going to rebel, they were going to riot, they were going to all of these things. And so he just gave into it to have him Jesus crucified. So verse... Um, 17, it says, So the people took Jesus, and they led him away. Carrying the cross by himself, Jesus went to a place called Golgotha. There they crucified him. There were two others crucified with him, one on either side, with Jesus between them. And Pilate posted a sign that read, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. This was the place where Jesus was crucified. Sorry, the place was... The place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and the sign was written in Hebrew, Latin, and Greek, so that many people could read it. So he, he was crucified in a popular area. It was written in three different languages, this sign that hanged, this mocking sign. Here is Jesus, King of the Jews. Kind of like, he says he's the King of the Jews. Kind of like his tombstone. The leading priest and the Pilate, the leading priest said to Pilate, change it from the king of the Jews to he said, I am the king of the Jews. And Pilate said, what I've written is exactly what it says. And like I said, I've got no notes on this, but this just came to me as I'm thinking about this. It's the truth, though. Pilate wrote it as what I believe to be kind of mocking. You know, because that's what the people wanted, you know. Hey, say that, say it that he said he was the king of the Jews, not that he was a king. But Pilate, I believe, wrote king of the Jews 
depicting that Jesus was a king. He was a king of a lot of people's lives going forward. I don't know if that was like a future foreshadowing statement that Pilate made or just what Jesus had declared about himself. But the way I see it and what God just kind of said, you know, hey, Jesus is the king of the Jews. And that came out of my tombstone comment. Like people write things, you know, here lies, you know, all of this stuff. And they write memorable things of who the person was. Jesus, king of the Jews. Not meant to be mocking, I don't think. It was, but to us reading it, no, he is the king. He is our king. So powerful, so amazing um, in this. The king of the Jews. The king of kings. So they were trying to get him to change empire. I was like, nope, not changing it. What I've, what I've written is it, period. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they divided his clothes among the four of them. They took his robe, but it was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said, let's not tear it up, but throw dice to see who gets it. So they're, they're casting lots. They're dividing his clothes. And that fulfilled scripture as they, as it was said that that's what people would do. So they've beat the man. They've hammered nails into his hands and his feet. They've beat him so bad, like he could have died from those wounds alone, let alone the crucifixion. And they're down at the foot of the cross, tearing up his clothes, selling, um, selling pieces of his clothes, casting lots for his garments. Just a total charade and mockery of all of this. Not just the not just the, the beating that Jesus did, but just like all of the the mocking and all of this stuff just tears my heart out. As we sit there and we imagine what Jesus is witnessing here. I mean sorry, what the people that follow Jesus is witnessing, what Jesus endured. Once again, if you've seen The Passion of the Christ, you know exactly the visual that I'm talking about. And to be honest, I don't think Mel Gibson was far off in that movie as he depicted that. He got a lot of heat for it, but I don't believe he was far off at all. I believe Jesus. the Bible says that he was not recognizable. And as I said, I believe he would have died just from the injuries of the, the beatings that he took. The whipping and all of that. He would have died from those injuries. Not just the crucifixion. Standing near the cross was Jesus' mother. His sister. And Mary. And Mary Magdalene. So where was all these people? This once again goes back to John 16 I believe. When we talked about that. And how the disciples were going to desert him. And that he was going to be alone. But that God was with him. And he was never alone. And here we get, later on in John, this depiction. Where we see John was obviously there because he's recording this account. But then you get Jesus' mother, his sister, Mary, and Mary Magdalene. Standing at the foot of the cross. Where was everybody else? And we're going to find out that where everybody else was. But, right here... He's got like four people. 
Verse 26, when Jesus saw his mother standing there beside the disciple he loved, that's how we know John was there, he said to her, woman, here is your son. And he said to the disciple, she is your mother. And from then on, this disciple took her into his home. So Jesus is turning over the care of his mother to John. He's probably looking down from the cross and he sees his mom who is there witnessing all of it. And he's giving the, the charge of taking care of his mom to John. Verse 28, chapter 19, verse 28. Jesus knew that everything was now finished. And to fulfill scripture, he said, I am thirsty. And a jar of sour wine was sitting there. They soaked a sponge in it, put it on a hyssop branch, and held it to his lips. When he tasted it, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. The Jewish leader, and so then we get um, the rest of John 19 as Jesus has now died. And this is what Good Friday is. And some people get mixed up with the, um, with the idea that uh, it is Good Friday. It is one of the darkest days in human history. And how is it good? Because as we see in the rest of John 19, we see the, um, the, the, the rest of the crucifixion story. We see um, that Jesus died and we see that they go around to break the legs of the other people. To break the legs because they wanted to kind of speed up their deaths. Because they wanted to get this thing over with before Passover and all of that. Um... And Jesus had already died, so they didn't break his legs. And that fulfills a lot of stuff that we're going to look at a little bit more later on in a series later this year that I'm excited about. But that just fulfilled scripture that the perfect sacrifice, the sacrifice for sins back in uh, Israel's time, was that the lamb had to be perfect and no broken bones. And there's Jesus. So they didn't break his bones because he wasn't supposed to have broken bones. And then it talks about the burial and all of that. And as we conclude this talk, I, I, I brought it up just a second ago. Um, Good Friday. Why a Good Friday? You know, it's not very good. Like, it can't be considered good. Like, there's a lot happening here that's bad. But it's called Good Friday. Because in the midst of all the bad that was going on, in the midst of all of this this stuff, the good thing was, is that as soon as Jesus died, the veil in the temple was torn from top to bottom, giving us total access to God once again through Jesus, through the sacrifice. And like I said, we're going to dive into that a little more later on this year uh, in a series that we're going to be looking at kind of like a flyover of the Bible. But a lot happened that was good in this moment. When Jesus died, it was bad. People grieved and mourned. And we're going to look at that Easter is coming. Right, and we're gonna look at the the 
the how it shifted the celebration. But this space was not celebratory at all. It was not good. But at the same time, it was good. It was good because Jesus died. And him dying tore up anything that we needed to do to pay for sin. The payment for sin is death. It says that in Romans 6. 6.23 For the wages of sin is death. It's what the Bible says. And up until this point, people had been taking care of their own sin. They were dying for their their, their sins. It says, for the wages of sin is death. Romans 6.23 And I know that because of the flood. Jesus, God wiped out everybody in the flood because they had become so wicked. Death has always been the payment for sin. Jesus, I mean, we go back to Adam and Eve. It's there too. Adam and Eve didn't die, but they would now be subject to death. That's how, what God meant by you will die. They were going to live forever. But then it says here, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is what Jesus did on the cross. This is what Jesus did on Good Friday. Is he took the payment of sin, the gift of God. For God loved the world that he sent his son so that we could live. That is what happened on Good Friday. The payment for sin was taken care of once and for all, finally finished for good. And no more was it in the hands. No more did, sorry, did we have to take care of it. When the Israelites worshiped the golden calf, it says that the people that worshiped the golden calf, they died. They took that punishment. But it was shortly after that that they set up the sacrifice system. And that the sacrifice then would be the, the payment for their sins and they could be absolved of their sins. And that's exactly what Jesus did for us. That is why it's called Good Friday. Because, yeah, 95% of it was bad. And if you were living in that space, if you entered into that space with me as we read these chapters of John, man alive. The pain and the sorrow and all that that was there, especially for the people that were mentioned at the foot of the cross. But not just that, but the people that believed in Jesus, the people that knew he was the Messiah, the people that had hoped he was going to take over the kingdom and reign as king and overthrow Rome and all of that. And hurrah, right now was dead on the cross. That wasn't what they had hoped for. But the good news is that Jesus died for us. Jesus died for our sins. Jesus paid the price that we could not pay. So that also so we didn't have to pay it. It says in the book of Hebrews chapter 12 that he was willing to die a shameful death on the cross because of the joy he knew would be his afterwards. Joy? 
he endured death on the cross for for joy? Yes. The joy of knowing that now we have freedom from our sin. That we have a way to experience the presence of God. That we have a way to experience life to the full. That's what John 10.10 tells us. That we have life to the full because of Jesus. And that is what Jesus' joy was. Joy that knowing that his people, that not his people, but all people now had a way to the Father. Because he is the way, the truth, and the life. That is what he said in John 11. He said he was the resurrection and the life. That is what the good news of Good Friday is. That there's joy, and this is the joy that Jesus said, that our sorrow would be turned to joy because Jesus knew what he was doing all along. He knew what it meant. And that he would have joy. So confusing that the cross would bring him joy. But he knew that it wasn't the cross. He knew that it wasn't what he was going to endure on the cross. He did it because of the joy it would give him because he knew the life that he now gave us. So phenomenal this this day of Good Friday. But it's also a day of remembrance of what Jesus did. But it's good to remember the whole thing. Yeah, we remember that he died on the cross. We remember that he was he was horribly beaten, horribly wounded, nails driven through his hands and his feet. But scars tell stories. And that's what our Easter theme is. So come back for the Easter celebration as we talk about scars. And they tell stories. And Jesus knew that this was going to tell a story. And Jesus knew that it was going to be joyful. And like I said, if we're going to experience Good Friday, we need to know that, yeah, like I said, he was all of those things that happened to him. But that there's great joy to be had because of all of those things. It's important to remember the whole thing. And that's what I hope that you do this day as as you've listened to this episode and you've experienced where Jesus was, his disciples, the people that followed him, Jesus himself, all of the above. That the joy set before Jesus was the cross and how crazy that sounds. But to experience Good Friday means that we have to understand that Jesus did it because he wanted to and because he knew it would bring us joy and it would bring us life. That was the event of Good Friday. That's the joy of Good Friday. That's the good in Good Friday. Like I said, that's only half of it. Jesus had to die for us, but he also had to defeat death, right? So now, once again, we're in this space. Jesus is dead. Now what? Jesus has died, the king of the Jews. As we, as we go into Easter, I want to leave with one final thing. In the Gospel of Luke, this road to Emmaus. And it says here, real quick, as we close out this Good Friday account, It says these people, right, were confused that Jesus didn't know what they were talking about. 
and Jesus is playing along. He's like, what, what things? Like, what? And we'll talk about that a little bit more as Easter comes. But he says, they say this to him. Our leading priests and other religious leaders, sorry, Luke 24, 20. But our religious leading priests and our other religious leaders arrested him and handed him over to be crucified. But we had thought, the NIV translation says, we had hoped he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. This happened three days ago. We're going to talk about this on Easter, okay? All of what, that one verse, verse 20, Luke 24, 20, says all that people had hoped. So right now in this space, as we enter into this time, Jesus is dead. Everybody's hope is shattered because they had hope for Jesus, right? Jesus was going to be the king. Jesus was going to overrule all of this stuff and he was going to put things back in order. He was going to be king, Jesus had never intended to be an earthly king. Jesus never wanted an earthly kingdom. That's not what he was after. That's what people had hoped he was going to do. And then he died on the cross doing what he was going to do to be a different kind of king. And as I said, this all happened three days ago. So as we go into this space now, now people's hope is shattered. People's thoughts and dreams and visions of Jesus were shattered in a moment. So now that is where we are. They don't know of the joy of the good news that I've, ex- that I've explained to you in this, but I believe God wanted me to because that is the hope that we have from Good Friday. That is the joy that comes out of Good Friday. That is the experience of Good Friday. Not just to remember what Jesus did and what he went through, but to remember why he did it and how much joy we have after it and that we have a life to the full because of it. But now we have to remember that these people that we've been following for the last 10 episodes, this is the 10th episode, what they're experiencing. And as Good Friday turns into, as Friday turns into Saturday, this space that they're in, now what? Where's our hope now? Our hope was just nailed to the cross and now he's in a tomb. Now what? What do we do? What do we do now? Jesus wasn't who he said he was. We had hoped he was going to be this big guy and he just turned out to be just another man. That's where we're at in this space. And that's the space that I want to leave you in as you conclude this episode, as you go into Saturday. This is the space that we're in right now. Do you feel it? The space of being there, not with hindsight, but the space of being there and experiencing this moment. This moment of Good Friday where hopes and dreams were shattered and changed and Jesus was looked at as someone he wasn't, as someone that they didn't think he was going to be, that he was just another man. The space that they're in, even the disciples who have now shacked themselves up back, I think it's believed where they had dinner and they're just, they're hiding because they didn't know what to do next. 
But that's all going to change in just a few days, as we know. But right now, stay in the space of not knowing what's going to happen next. Jesus is now dead and he's in a tomb. Now what? What is going to happen now? He was supposed to be something different and he's not. Jesus is dead. Now what? We'll see you on Easter.